Hi, and welcome to a special episode of The Horn. I'm Alan Boswell. Last week, we at Crisis Group issued a warning that the federal government of Ethiopia and the region of Tigray were heading towards conflict. In the last week, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed ordered the military to take action against the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, which he said was in retaliation for an attack on Ethiopia's federal military. A civil war that many Ethiopians feared was possible now seems to be underway. We are bringing you today's special episode to talk about how we got here, where things stand now, and what might happen next. We are going to speak with William Davison, our senior analyst on Ethiopia. He's in Addis Ababa. And then Dino Matani, our deputy Africa director here in Nairobi, who will speak on the regional fallout if this conflict continues. Thanks for joining us. Uh, William, we're going to start with you. So thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Alan. So we're, we're talking on Thursday evening here. Uh, first of all, what do we know and what don't we know right now? I know there's a lot of uh, fog of war at the moment, but what can you tell us about what's happening and where things stand at the moment, at least as best as, as you can tell? Yes, that's right. Things are not entirely uh, clear. Um, there's still a telecommunications blackout um, across Tigray regions, so a very limited information coming out of there. Um, we do know that there has been um, clashes between you know, Tigray regional forces um, and the federal military and also Amhara region forces. Um, and that's in sort of west and southwest Tigray areas. The federal government is claiming gains there um, and say they are sort of marching into Tigray. But that's not confirmed. Like I say, it's hard to get information out of, of Mekalay um, from the Tigray leadership. Uh, there was a clash, you know, some gun, gunfire around the airport in Mekalay, um, Tigray's capital, yesterday and that only went on for a maximum of an hour I mean, there hasn't been too much news from there since but it appears that Mekele, um by and large um, since this um, conflict broke out um, yesterday morning Mekele has been um, relatively peaceful um, or you know, at least quiet um, but with a telecoms and also a power blackout it seems. Um, no news from the um, northern border the Eritrean front um, as yet um, so that's pretty much what we know about the, the conflict. Obviously, there's other important elements to this as, as well. And is, is there a chance uh, from that picture you're painting that this could, you know, that this could be a, a quick start and then a kind of sudden freeze? Or are we just waiting for this to escalate quite a bit? Well, I guess it's been a little bit stop start so far. There appeared to be a lull uh, yesterday of sorts. Uh, but of course, we don't know what the intentions were from either the federal side um, or from the Tigray side. Um, we saw um, heard Prime Minister Abiy say that, that there would be further operations over the next few days. Um, and we've seen the TPLF leadership, the Tigray president, uh, Debret Sion, come out and say that Tigray, um, you know, it's in a conflict and it will prevail um, and etc. So we are expecting escalation. Um, we, we are clearly locked into a conflict path at the moment. Um, but it's not exactly clear at all what, you know, what path that conflict, you know, what exact path that conflict will take. Right. OK, so why don't you walk us back a bit? You know, Crisis Group and you have been warning that these sides have been escalating on a path towards conflict for a while. We even put out a briefing about it last week warning this. Um, so, so just what were the specific steps in recent weeks that sort of took us over the brink? 
Well, just to maybe go back a little bit beyond recent weeks to say that um, you know, we have this political dispute going back years. I won't go into that now. Um, but this year, of course, um, the election was delayed by the federal government. All government terms, including all regional government terms, were extended. Um, and the Tigray's government opposed the manner in which that was done, said they would go ahead with their regional election. And that was against um, federal authority. Um, and the federal government warned that this would be unconstitutional. Now, after Tigray held its election on September the 9th, um, the federal government moved to classify the regional leadership as essentially unlawful, said they will not do any business with it. Um, And then on Tigray's part, they said that the federal government's term, um, its constitutional mandate, its term limit expired um, on, on October the 5th. So then we moved into a situation where the federal government said that Tigray's government was unlawful, and Tigray's government said that the federal government had no legal mandate also. This is what has set up the conflict. Moving on from that, we have a rearranged, uh, delayed election that's been set for late May or early June. So that raised the question, would the TPLF accept the authority of the federal government to run polls for Ethiopia's federal parliament next year? Or would they refuse? Obviously, it looked highly likely they would refuse as they have described the federal government as illegitimate. Therefore, the federal government either had to get the TPLF to change its mind, or they had to change the TPLF between this period and June. And ultimately, they've taken the decision to change the TPLF. Um, Obviously, they accused the TPLF of starting the shooting war. um, But that is what led us to this conflict situation. Um, Before we walk back even further, I'm just wondering, was it the threat of cutting off the budget? Or do you think it was this issue of rotating troops and sort of the military tensions that were there that that sort of really brought us to 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 where this became imminent? Um, It's not clear. We, we, We cannot be clear about exactly, you know, what led us into conflict at this particular point. As I was explaining, we could see that conflict seemed almost inevitable um, because of that problem with the election and the constitutional dispute that I just described. What it looked like is that the federal government felt like it was in a stronger position to hold out, um, to apply pressure on the TPLF leadership in Tigray. They hoped that that would turn the Tigrayan people against the leadership in Tigray as they suffered hardship. There was also this plan to redirect funding to the lower tiers of the TPLF and the regional administration, therefore hoping to create some sort of split within the TPLF. But the point is, the federal government, it seemed, was looking to weaken Tigray um, and then be in a better position um, to bargain with them or ultimately to intervene militarily um, sometime, you know, around whatever, like April or or March next year. That didn't happen. Um, And I think you're quite, you know, it's your idea that this could be due to the tensions within the military. That seems a possibility. You know, Tigray sort of successfully refused the appointment of a new deputy commander for the northern command of the federal military based in Tigray. Um, So was that what triggered the federal military intervention? Were there some other considerations? Maybe they did not want to give Tigray um, further time to prepare for autonomy, perhaps to take preemptive measures um, which might destabilize Ethiopia further. Whatever happened, it looks like federal um, inclination to not respond to any TPLF provocations and play this out. At some point, that calculation changed, and there was a decision that, as the prime minister said, uh, the TPLF had crossed a red line, and that's led to this military intervention. Right. Now, you were just in Tigray. And before I ask you about that and dive more in those details, uh, first of all, let's take an even uh, bigger step back. I know we're sort of walking backwards here. 
Um, but for listeners, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but for new listeners who are tuning in and are wondering, you know, how Ethiopia ended up in this situation, uh, can you give us a quick rundown of, you know, where this dispute ultimately comes from? You know, you have the rise of a new prime minister, Abiy, and and then you have this escalating standoff with Tigray and its ruling party, TPLF. Yes, I mean, there's different elements to it. So, you know, in, in, by no means there's the one simple answer to this. Um, for example, there are very kind of bitter uh, political relations uh, between the federal government leadership, the prosperity party leadership, the ruling party, um, and those in the TPLF. Um, that sort of emanates from the bitter fallout um, of the political changes, the protest, and then the political changes that led to Prime Minister Abiy coming to power, um, which was something of a power struggle within the ruling coalition, with the TPLF ultimately losing that power struggle. Subsequently, the TPLF party, um, they lost a lot of their positions within the federal government. Um, but also, um, you know, accompanying that, there were the suspicions, the allegations um, from the TPLF side that Tigrayans and TPLF officials were unfairly prosecuted for prosecutions. Um, the TPLF was blamed for acts of destabilization, even an attempted assassination of the prime minister at one point. Um, the TPLF rejected that. Um, and then there was the creation of the Prosperity Party itself. The creation of Prosperity Party meant the creation of a national party um, by merging all of Ethiopia's regional ruling parties into one unitary entity. The TPLF sat that out. They opposed it for ideological reasons. They said it hadn't been that the procedure um, was not legitimate, let's say. Um, and they also opposed it for ideological reasons, for example, you know, saying that it was um, going against a successful state-led development model. So you could see that this power struggle and the bitter politics of that was then sort of exacerbated by what happened during Ethiopia's transition. And of course, from the Addis side, from the federal government side, you know, they were accusing the TPLF of harboring fugitives of federal justice, including the former intelligence chief, a TPLF Politburo member. And then again, from the other side, there were these allegations that a lot of the intercommunal violence in Ethiopia and the general instability, they said that that was being funded and fueled um, by the TPLF, working through its networks using proxies. So we could see the recipe for a very kind of bitter, you, know, you could see the very bitter uh, politics of that, um, which created these huge tensions. The other important thing to add, you know, this situation that I described with the regional ruling parties and prosperity party, that relates to Ethiopia's federal system. Um, in the 1980s, the TPLF fought for self-determination um, against an oppressive central militarizing uh, military regime. The TPLF was then um, the main architect of the federal system in the 90s um, and then a, a key element of the, this governing coalition that, that managed the federation. Um, and managed it in quite a, an authoritarian fashion. But the point here is that there is also a struggle for the federal system. Um, there is a battle between those who argue for regional autonomy, strong regional autonomy against a stronger central government. There is also a concern from ethno-nationalist groups, which includes the TPLF, but also, very importantly, Oromo opposition groups, that those in power in Addis Ababa at the moment at least those around the prime minister, if not the prime minister himself, that they have no interest in maintaining um, what the proponents call Ethiopia's multinational federal system. And instead, they think that the prime minister and allies are looking ultimately to undo ethno-regional autonomy. So not only do you have this 
constitutional debate about you know whether a regional government has the right to autonomously run a regional election. But you also have these much more sort of deeper foundational fears um, and, and allegations that the central government is looking to ride roughshod over these hard-won um, rights to self-determination. Um, and you were just in Tigray, like I said. You hear, you know, of Tigray officials, you know, having prepared for this potential showdown for, for, for years now, really. Um, when you were on the ground, what did you hear from officials there that might give any insight into, into maybe what they're thinking? What I took from the trip to Mekele is just how resolute uh, the TPLF leadership was. Also very consistent in their messaging. Um, And then as far as I could tell on a short visit and only to the capital Mekele, um, was that there also seemed to be a fairly significant amount of popular support um, for the core tenets of of the regional government's position. So they seemed prepared um, for a struggle. They also, because I was sort of specifically looking at these issues which stemmed from the federal government ruling the executive as as unlawful, and that included this effort to redirect the federal budget, it was fairly clear that um, people expected some form of economic pressure um, and other pressure coming from the federal government. They believed that the federal government was out to weaken Tigray, um, and they were talking about how they were not prepared to sit back and let this happen. And instead, they were they would uh, not only, you know, improve their defences, but they were also looking to project their power, um, because they they realised that, you know, the federal government had the ability to play this one out, and, and to seek some sort of advantage like that. So there was absolutely, you know, widespread antipathy um, to the Prime Minister and to his agenda and to Prosperity Party, consistently from the regional leadership, absolutely convinced um, of their reading of the constitution and their rights um, you know, to, to have hold, held this election and all the rest of this. And then a very clear-eyed view um, that this was going to be a struggle um, and they, they were prepared to sort of take preemptive action and not sit back and let themselves be weakened. And of course, in some ways, it looks like they're in a very weak position. They're basically sandwiched between uh, Eritrea and and Addis Ababa. It certainly doesn't look enviable uh, in in that regards. Uh, is it clear what their strategy is? Well, it depends exactly what you mean by their their strategy. I mean, I, I think their sort of grand strategy, so to speak, would be you know to to apply enough pressure on the federal government, uh, hopefully force the prime minister to step down, and then in their mind there would be the formation of a transitional government, um, which was kind of renegotiate Ethiopia's political settlement, and we'd have an election. And, and all the rest of it. Um, I think maybe you were kind of more referring to the military strategy. Um, of course, you know, I'm by no means privy um, to all of Tigray's plans or the federal government's plans. Um, but at least we can see that they have been preparing, um, you know, their regional security apparatus for the last couple of years, also quite a strong militia in the region. So, you know, these decent ability to defend itself. There's also a wealth of military experience, obviously, in Tigray because of the history of rebellion and also war um, with Eritrea, for example, when they were holding state power. Um, the other massive factor here is the position of the Northern Command. Um, that makes up the sort of bulk um, of Ethiopia's military uh, because it's been you know, fighting the war with Eritrea and then um, remaining um, manning that border. 
Tigrayan leaders were very confident, political leaders, they were very confident that the Northern Command, partly because it contains quite a high proportion of Tigrayan officers, that it would not join a federal military intervention to remove the TPLF leadership. One of the absolutely critical questions now is how does that actually play out in reality? Because if that is the position of the Northern Command, that they do not um, obey the um, federal military command and the federal political leadership, the commander in chief, the prime minister in the normal way, um, well, that does shift the balance of power considerably. Um, so we could see the sort of outlines of both a, a military strategy and also a sort of broader um, political strategy there as well. I mean, we're also just talking when you talk through those scenarios, you know, of of just how serious this is for Ethiopia overall. I mean, it would be and it would be in some ways just a fracturing of their military, um, uh, whether or not that Northern Command ended up siding with Tigray or just stood out of it entirely. It would really sort of uh, stress the the authority of the federal government at all and put that into into question. Can you follow up on that a bit and paint a sort of overall military picture? I um, mean, I know the Northern Command's a bit unclear at the moment where that fits in it, but in terms of the TPLF itself, you said they have a militia. Uh, do we have any sort of numbers as to what they can command? I mean, I think one of the problems is, is you know, you look on a map and you hear that Tigray is a small region and you think that, you know, they might have tens of thousands. But of course, we're talking about a much bigger force than that for the reason you mentioned in its long historical armed struggle it put up in the past um, in the 1990s. Yeah, obviously, we have to be you know very careful. This, you know, this simply isn't sort of verified data out there. I'm given figures of, you know, 200,000, perhaps up to quarter of a million for the combined manpower of the Tigrayan regional police, which has this sort of paramilitary, a large paramilitary element to it, but then also the sort of militia, so more local level militia, lots of ex-soldiers, ex-rebels and that type of thing, fairly well drilled. So perhaps, yeah, we are looking at something maybe even up to a quarter of a million there. But as I said, we've got to be cautious with these numbers. I think these figures about regional, um, the strength of Tigray's regional security apparatus, I think, you know, no no one outside Tigray is is even trying to make guesstimates of this. So it should just be clear these are numbers coming from um, the Tigray establishment, the ruling establishment there. The federal military in terms of personnel, people talk about, you know, something around maybe the similar sorts of numbers, um, perhaps more like 200,000. Um, and then the Northern Command itself, you know, people were saying like easily more than half of the personnel um, of the armed forces. Somebody said 40% to me earlier today. So we might be looking at around, you know, sort of 100,000 perhaps um, for the Northern Command itself. So I think the point that you made is is correct. Um, you know, Tigray has a population of somewhere around 6 million um, but ultimately, it's a it's a pretty like you know, it's a relatively militarized society, both in terms of its history, its experience, but also in terms of its you know, the, the, these sort of the current sort of composition um, of the government and the security apparatus. Sure. And I know those numbers are sort of uh, thumb counts, but of course, that's the size of, you know, many national militaries um, within this region and around the world. Uh, so uh, we talked about what Tigray might be thinking. You know, what is your sense from Addis and from officials in, yeah, in Addis Ababa about exactly how they see this playing out and what, you know, what their strategy might look like? Well, what we know about the uh, federal government strategy here, uh, or at least their objective, is to remove the TPLF leadership. Um, they are describing the problem as one caused by a small group of TPLF hardcore, the old guard, as they're often um, often described. 
Um, and we know that the bulk of the fighting has been in sort of West Tigray, West Southwest Tigray border areas um, with the federal military, but also the involvement of Amhara regional forces. So it looks like they've seen, well, not necessarily a weakness there, but at least that is the that has been the focus of the fighting so far. Um, ultimately, it's not clear to me um, exactly what the military strategy is here, um, other than to say it's clear what the objectives are. But they are moving from the West so far. Um, but this is does not look like, well, unless we get, um, you know, an admission of defeat by the TPLF leadership at some point. Um, but otherwise, clearly, it looks like they plan to get to Mekele, um, the regional capital, um, and to, um, yeah, you know, to mount an offensive um, and to re- remove the regional leadership there. Of course, there is the possibility of Eritrean involvement, um, but federal officials are describing this as an internal Ethiopian affair at the moment. Um, it seems feasible um, that the Northern Command of the military is not getting too involved in the active conflict in Tigray at the moment and instead is very much training its focus on that northern border. So that might prevent Eritrean incursions anyway. Um, further than that, um, I don't think it's too clear at the moment. Obviously, there was this activity around the airport yesterday, but that does not seem to have been sustained. And Mekele, um, as we discussed, um, has been quiet. So we have this objective Um, We have the stated intent from both sides. Um, We seem locked into a conflict path. Um, No Ethiopian political actor seems to be, the the, the people involved in this conflict seem to be seeking a negotiated solution at the moment. Um, And that's essentially where we are at. I mean, and you can, just from hearing the stated strategies from from both uh, the Addis side and the Mekele side, I mean... It sounds like they're both basically trying to force each other out of power. Uh, so you can see why we might have a, a challenge at the moment on on getting this to de-escalate and why we've had a challenge with that. Um, it, it sounds like a proper sort of showdown. Before I ask you, you know, how you think we can get out of this mess or even halt it and, and stop it from escalating further. Um, I mean, I mean, first of all, let's how does this fit into the broader Ethiopian crisis? Um, you know, we've had we've had comparisons for years now since uh since this uh you know abi came to power of an almost you know people've been painting yugoslavia like like scenarios as as the sort of worst case scenarios where the country starts to to break up do you see i mean where do you see this playing in terms of not just tigray but also the broader question of where ethiopia is heading obviously that depends on the course of the conflict um in tigray um of course if there is um you know a, let's call it a quick win here um, and the conflict does not escalate and spread, then it would not be so dis- so disastrous in its impact, essentially. Um, the, the problem is that, you know, if this does turn into a protracted conflict um, with the Tigray regional security forces digging in and perhaps even significant destabilization of the Ethiopian armed forces, well, then, of course, this will significantly weaken um, the Ethiopian government. It will weaken it materially. It will also make it look weak. Um, And because of the sort of political turbulence that we have generally in Ethiopia, that will embolden opponents um, and we could expect problems elsewhere. Um, I would also state, you know, perhaps, you know, being a bit more reflective during this transition, when we could look at it in 2018 and 2019 and say, you know, in the four main regions, uh, Tigray, Oromia, the southern nations and Amhara, the four former regions of the ruling coalition, 
well, there were there were significant challenges there um, in each of them. And now this Tigray challenge in terms of sort of what to do or how does the TPLF fit into a new political settlement? Well, that's turned into what looks like a potentially disastrous conflict. Um, we also have a very worrying situation in, in Oromia, as you know, um, with a lot of opposition to the federal government. Um, it's going to be difficult to run an election that's considered um, successful in Oromia. So re- we really at this point have to question um, the stability and the direction um, of this, of, of what was supposed to be a transition to multi-party democracy. Yeah, I think uh, what you're painting is just how disastrous this can get. Um, the the thought of a, you know, not just a conflict, but a collapse in Ethiopia, of course, is in some ways almost unthinkable in terms of those consequences. I need to ask you, you know, uh, what hope do you have for, for ending this? How do we get a ceasefire? You know, what what, what is a possible path like that? look like? Yeah, so I think we need to be um, realistic first. Um, we, we do we are on a conflict path here. Um, so it could end quickly, but it doesn't necessarily seem like that's going to happen. So as things stand, you know, this does look, as you described it, like a showdown, which is obviously a very worrying prospect. Assuming that, you know, that's one path. The other way, perhaps, that things can be altered is by some, you know, very meaningful, urgent, and ultimately impactful diplomatic intervention. We have had Prime Minister Hamdok of Sudan you're reaching out to the Prime Minister, I believe reaching out to Mehele, um, to try and get some form of mediation going. Clearly that's supported by other um, regional governments, also by um, the African Union and, you know, the, and the usual supporting cast of the EU and other international actors. At the moment, there is no signs of success there. Um, But I think what really needs to happen, um, and maybe this will become an easier sell um, as the conflict, if the conflict gets bogged down, as in if it continues, will be to say, will be to kind of reiterate and and try and get the Ethiopian actors to understand these potentially disastrous consequences of the course we are on. At that point, you know, perhaps there could be some de-escalation Um, This constitutional dispute between Tigray and the federal government can be addressed. And then there can also be a much broader conversation involving all of the relevant political actors in Ethiopia about, you know, not just how to manage elections, but ultimately the future of the federation and and related issues. But I would just like to return with a dose of realism. Um, These were former allies in a ruling coalition. We've talked about the acrimonious breakup and then the increasing political toxicity as allegations were thrown back and forth. Then we have the constitutional dispute. Now they describe each other as unlawful and we have entered into a conflict phase. Um, Until there is some end, some willingness um, to stop treating um, the other side as illegitimate and as the enemy, then it really does look like it's going to be quite hard to get the parties together. That's why we need, you know, such forceful, concerted, diplomatic intervention that to convince the parties that despite the severity um, of their dispute, they really need to put that aside, try and come up with some form of political solution to de-escalate this and enter into um, those negotiations that I've mentioned. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Will, for your time. I know you're incredibly busy over there in Addis Ababa and uh, stay safe. All right. Thank you very much, Alan. Now we're going to move on to Dino Matani, our Deputy Africa Director. 
Dino, we we just spoke with Will in Addis Ababa. So first of all, we want to you know give our listeners a scope of the regional situation here because, of course, if Ethiopia slides into civil conflict, this is something that's going to have implications far outside its borders. So first off, you know Ethiopia is Africa's second largest country. Uh, it's in some ways a linchpin of the Horn of Africa. Uh, map out just how severe this could get uh, for the broader Horn of Africa region if we see this slide into civil war continue. Yes, well, with 100 million people plus, this is one of the giants of, of the continent. And if, if we're going to see sustained turmoil in Ethiopia to the extent that mass displacement occurs, different regions are also piling into the, into the conflict. Uh, this is something that particularly European partners uh, deeply fear, given what's happened over the last few years with mass migration coming from the Horn of Africa through the central Mediterranean and into uh, Europe across, across the seas. So th- this is obviously a, a major concern for those outside the region, particularly, particularly Europe. Within the region, Ethiopia is considered uh, a pivotal country. For starters, it's in terms of regional diplomacy, it's the headquarters of the African Union. Now, of course, uh, those operations are, are, are separate to the government of Ethiopia itself, but, but Ethiopia has played a pivotal role in regional diplomacy. Recently, Prime Minister Abiy had steered through a peace process in South Sudan, for example. There's also been uh, Ethiopian involvement in, in Sudan's transitional politics uh, during the course of uh, 2019. As well as that, there's, there's also Ethiopian troops uh, are part of the AU force in, in, in Somalia, which is dedicated to, to, to fighting al-Shabaab. So a collapse in Ethiopia would have major consequences uh, for peace and security in the region and, and leave quite a vacuum in, in neighboring countries. So let's go through those countries uh, one by one and let's do a bit of a, a sort of rapid take on on where they might fit into this. So the first one to really unpack here, of course, is Eritrea. You spent years investigating Eritrea for the UN. Uh, Eritrea, of course, is a long time enemy of the TPLF in, in Tigray and has President Isaias has you know, been an ally with Prime Minister Abiy in Ethiopia. Where do you see Eritrea fitting in this? Is this, you know, conflict almost certainly to to suck in Eritrea, um, even spread there? And what implications could that even have outside Ethiopia and Eritrea? Well, this is uh, a fundamentally important question. Tigray has had a long history of rivalry with Eritrea, which is now firmly allied with Prime Minister Abiy since Ethiopia and Eritrea recently forged a peace deal which earned Abiy his Nobel Peace Prize or partially played into into that award. Um, Tigray uh, had led Ethiopia into war with Eritrea between 1998 and 2000. After then, there was also Eritrean involvement in Somalia, and this is one of the reasons Eritrea ended up on, on UN sanctions. Um, Eritrea was alleged to have been supporting the al-Shabaab jihadist group in, in Somalia, in the years after Ethiopia had invaded Somalia to smash what was then the Islamic Courts Union. So there's a long history of rivalry there. And in the present circumstances, Eritrea seems to be vulnerable to to being drawn into this conflict. We've heard, uh, although not confirmed, but it's reliable information that uh, there have been some Eritrean trainers involved in in consulting with the the Ethiopian National Defense Forces in the run-up to to this conflict that's just broken out. 
it is also possible that the the TPLF are thinking of of uh, moving into Eritrea. From what we hear, they they're pretty confident that the Eritrean army wouldn't pose a risk to them. So if they come under pressure from the south, from uh, Abiy Ahmed's federal forces, then they may decide to to make a strategic retreat or even punch into Eritrea, which would then internationalize this conflict. And then in Sudan also, Tigray borders uh, Sudan, uh, really eastern Sudan. And we talked a bit about East Sudan uh, with with our colleague Jonas uh, in the last podcast we did. Um, how could this play out in eastern Sudan? Well, Sudan is, is very delicately uh, uh, poised in relation to all of this. Tigray's only external avenue out of Ethiopia is really into Sudan. South of Tigray's regional border is the Federation. Uh, north is uh, Eritrea. And to the west is, is Sudan, which is really the, the only supply line for external, for external supplies. Uh, everything from, from basic commodities, food, uh, basic necessities has to come through eastern Sudan in, in this context. At the same time, Eritrea has long held sway in that part of Sudan itself. Um, it's uh, tightly interwoven with ethnic nomadic communities that have been involved in in various smuggling uh, operations that, that have even been responsible for taking weapons into Egypt and, and then into to Sinai. The Sudanese government is, on the one hand, trying to contain those networks, potentially as part of its deal with Israel, which has for long objected to, to those smuggling caravans. But on the other hand, it's also loathe to 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 allow Tigray to 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 act as as what Sudanese officials tell us would be uh, an insurgency. So you know they they don't want uh, Tigray to also have free reign in that area if it means that Khartoum's relations with with Addis Ababa would sour as a result. The tension that could break out on the ground, well, we don't know precisely what's going to happen, but clearly there's a conflict of interest brewing in eastern Sudan between pro Eritrean. Uh, Sudanese groups and those that have tighter relationship with with Eritrea, with Tigray rather. And uh, we shall see how the Sudanese security forces manage those tensions going forward. I mean, also, I imagine that, you know, Asmara and Addis Ababa would be lobbying Khartoum quite hard to cut off, you know, such a route between Tigray and the Red Sea. I mean, I mean, I imagine there's concerns that this new fragile government in Khartoum would have a hard time managing those different rivalries. Yeah, it's what what we've heard from Sudanese officials this week is that they are loath to allowing Tigray to use the territory as part of feeding its insurgency. That would undermine Khartoum's relation directly with with Addis Ababa. Khartoum doesn't want this. On the other hand, Khartoum is also uh, under pressure to deal with smuggling networks that were previously or still even allied to Eritrea and which Israel takes objection to because these are the same convoys that have been responsible for smuggling all kinds of uh, things, including potentially weapons into Egypt and Sinai uh, over the over the uh, previous years. So uh, Sudan is in a very delicate position. It has to manage both of those uh, networks. And of course, if competition between Tigray and, and Asmara uh, heats up, that may bleed into what's happening on the ground in, in, in eastern Sudan and put the Sudanese authorities in a very difficult position. Right. And of course, it's impossible to talk about internal unrest in Ethiopia and the regional implications without talking about Egypt. Egypt for a long time has been interested in sort of 
a, a not very strong Ethiopia due to the dispute over the Nile Dam. Uh, is is it clear yet where, where Egypt might fit into this picture? Well, of course, just recently we had uh, President Trump uh, uh, suggesting that Egypt might even bomb the, the, the Gerd Dam under current circumstances. And of course, Cairo will be looking at what happens in Ethiopia and looking to take whatever opportunities arise from uh, the weakening of the Ethiopian state. There's also a question as to whether Tigray will have an uh, interest in feeding off any Egyptian help. Now, certainly Egypt has its networks also in eastern Sudan, and, and there are uh, at least some information of Tigrayan traders who have relationships with East Sudanese nomadic communities that are also connected to Egyptian state interests. So as, as the situation in eastern Sudan uh, evolves in this context, we may know more. But I mean, Egypt and the TPLF are also longtime enemies. So do you, th- I mean, is it really that feasible that, that they might become allies in this uh, situation? This is a region which is notorious for the logic of my enemy's enemy is my friend. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that Ethiopia and Eritrea were at war. Now Afwerki is Abiy's ally and uh, uh, against against the Tigrayans. So, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of fluidity in, in, in the politics of the region right now, and uh, all of that could lead to an unraveling uh, further down the road. Okay, and then finally, as you, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Ethiopia has long played quite a role in Somalia, um, uh, including both as part of AMISOM um, and forces that, that weren't inside AMISOM, inside, inside Somalia. Uh, What do we think might be the impact in Somalia of all of this uh, going on within Ethiopia? We've already heard that Ethiopian troops that are not part of the Amisom chain of command, some of them have already been moved out of of Somalia. These are are what are known as non-Amisom Ethiopian troops. They've already been moved out of Somalia. And these were troops that were there, uh, have been there for some time, and which many Somali actors see as positioning itself there in support of the federal government of Somalia in Mogadishu, who at this time is in a very tense situation with its own member states as it heads into elections that are programmed uh, for the end of this year and in, and into, into next year. So that evacuation of troops will certainly also weaken uh, Mogadishu's position potentially in regards to uh, its competitors, its political competitors, notably its own federal member states. And that could also leave room for uh, some of those actors to, to make their own moves within Somalia itself. Dino, thank you. Thank you for your time. Welcome. Many thanks. Thanks for listening. For those interested in more background, we recorded another podcast with William earlier this year going deeper into the political crisis in Ethiopia. You can also find our reports on crisisgroup.org. Just go to the Ethiopia section to find the reports we've recently put out on this specific crisis. I'm Alan Boswell, and this podcast is produced, as always, by Mae Francis. 